The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever invested hours and hours in reading a book only to get to the end and be horribly disappointed by the ending? All right? Or maybe more of you watch movies, all right? Maybe we've got a movie going crowd. You've, you, you've spent some time watching a movie. You've invested the $100 it costs to go to the movie theater now and the $1,000 you've got to pay for popcorn. Come on, somebody. And uh, you get to the end of the movie, and you are so disappointed at the ending. And you're telling everybody what the writer should have done to, to end the movie better, right? Well, the Old Testament book of Jonah is kind of like this. In that, I mean, it's this great, gripping story. And you get to chapter 3 where we were a couple weeks ago, and you read it. And if the story would have ended there with the Ninevites being uh, repenting and turning to God, I just believe that would have been a great ending. Like, if you have a chapter 4, it should have been. And Jonah high-fived some people on the way out, and they lived happily ever after. But it doesn't end that way. Let me just give you a little recap of where we're at so far. The, the book of Jonah is about learning to run. This is the, our, our take on it. It's the, the learning, learning to run the Christian life in the right direction. You remember Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is called to go to this wicked city of Nineveh who Nahum calls a cesspool of wickedness. or He calls it a, uh, a, a, a city of blood. Excuse me. It is a cesspool of wickedness. And Jonah is called to go there. God will call you to places at times you do not want to go. And so Jonah doesn't want to go. And he runs tragically from God. But while Jonah is running from God, he's fleeing, going the other way, God is pursuing Jonah. Are you grateful that when you run from God, God is still pursuing you? Amen? We serve an awesome God. And so Jonah is on this ship, and God sends a storm upon the waters and the, the, the ship is beginning to break up and it's all because of Jonah's disobedience. God is trying to get his attention. And finally, Jonah tells these pagan sailors who are on board, he says, listen, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do the will of the Lord. Have you ever been there? I'd rather die than do this thing you've called me to, Lord. This is where Jonah's at. Still running from God. And so, the sailors do indeed throw Jonah overboard. And it looks like Jonah's story would be over, but you know the story. His story is actually not over yet because God now appoints a great fish. We serve an awesome, powerful, sovereign God. He appoints a great fish who swallows Jonah. Now it takes Jonah being in the belly of this fish three days before he calls upon the Lord. That's just nasty, folks. I just, you know, being in the belly of a fish like this. And he finally, instead of running from God, he finally acquiesces and he calls out to the Lord. He runs to God. And God does not condemn him, but God actually hears his prayer and answers his prayer. And when Jonah cries out, God, maybe having a little sense of humor, has the fish vomit Jonah out on dry land. And then we move to chapter 3. And now we find there Jonah running not just to God, 
but now he's running with God. It's a beautiful picture of this man who was far from the Lord just moments before, now running with God, locked arms in ministry. An amazing story. Jonah gets a second chance to go to Nineveh. And he indeed goes this time, and he preaches a message of God's coming judgment upon the city, and they do the most marvelous thing. They repent. I mean, the best scenario that can happen from the king down, the people fast, they humble themselves, and they turn to God. It's a glorious day, and I just ask, why can the story not end right here? But it doesn't. We have a chapter 4. Now, if I were writing this about myself, I don't know that I would include chapter 4. I would probably just start right there, stop right there while I'm ahead. But we have chapter 4, and in this chapter, we find Jonah running tragically against God. Not just away from him, but against the Lord. So with that being said, I invite you to stand for just a moment. We're going to actually start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and then read just the few verses that are in chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 10 says this, When God saw what they did, this is the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What a merciful God. Now watch this. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah's a little bit crazy. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to live than to die. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth there for himself. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed, keep noticing that word, appointed, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. I'm going to begin, if you're taking notes, by looking at Jonah's perspective. Jonah's perspective. The people of Nineveh, 
turn to God and they repent. And God relents of his judgment upon these people in the city. And now look again at verse 1 at what happens. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now this prophet of God who just experienced the mercy of God himself is now mad at God showing mercy and compassion to this city. Now if you go to the book of Luke chapter 15 verse 7, it says this, Jesus says, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How many know there is a party going on in heaven every time a sinner comes to repentance? And the Bible doesn't just say here that the angels rejoice. It says there's joy in heaven. I believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit are rejoicing every time someone turns to Jesus in faith and repents of their sin. And here's what I believe that ought to happen in the church every time that happens. I believe we ought to go buck wild. I believe we ought to match, mimic, if you will, what's going on in heaven. And we do that in this church. It's a time of celebration when somebody comes to the Lord. I just, uh, I've told this on a Wednesday night. I don't believe I've shared it on a Sunday morning, though. But it, if so, it, it, it's worth repeating. Uh, our, our, one of our dear church members was on the platform this morning. Jan King, Jan, raise your hand. <laughs> I, I like your look. Like, you didn't know you are going to be an illustration this morning. But Jan, uh, I, I get a call from Jan uh, w one of my days off, and, and I listen to the message, and like you just hear this overwhelming joy in her voice. Uh, Pastor Chris, I just have to share something with you. And, and you know, I thought she won the lottery or something, was going to tell me she was going to pay off my house, or it wasn't that. It was much better, all right, much better. And I called her. I said, Jan, what happened? She said, oh, it was wonderful. She works in a jewelry store. That's not the wonderful part. When a customer walks in and Jan is able to share the love of Christ with her, and right there in a jewelry store, she's able to lead a lady to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Come on, celebrate right now. Isn't that great? And she was so excited, and she should be. And I think about the times over and over I've been able to have the privilege of sharing the gospel with somebody, and they repent. And I, I've prayed with them and watched them before my eyes move from death to life. There's no greater joy in the world than to be able to lead somebody to Christ by the grace of God. That ought to be a normal response. Joy, unspeakable joy. Somebody just moved from death to life. Somebody's eternity just changed. Somebody was just moments ago under the wrath of God that would result in damnation. And now they are under the grace of God and they're going to experience eternal life. Friends, I don't know of any greater reason to celebrate. But Jonah was exceedingly angry. Exceedingly angry. Mad. Upset frustrated he doesn't have the, the the normal response now the bible doesn't tell us exactly why he's angry but we can use some other places in the bible to to, to get a feel for what may have been going on in jonah's heart so i want to give you if you're taking notes just quickly three heart issues three heart issues that may contribute 
to Jonah's anger. Number one is this, racism. Or it could be prejudice or it could be maybe better said as nationalism. But there's some kind of prejudice possibly going on in Jonah's heart here. You know, the Ninevites are Gentiles. And though they are not a current threat to Israel, they are considered enemies of God's children. And in the ancient world, Gentiles were considered unclean to the Jews. They were almost second-class citizens. And so there was kind of at times tended to be this nationalistic pride amongst some of the Jews. Perhaps Jonah cannot see the family of God, including such people like these. I want you to know that you're in a church today that I want to be filled with people that don't all look like me. Okay, I want to give you just a newsflash, and I know you all know this. I'm preaching to the choir today. You're so loving and accepting. But the church as a whole, I'm talking about the capital C, is not only middle-class white people. All right? It's not. It is, it is for all peoples. All peoples have equal value in the eyes of God. God has a heart for the nations. Jonah expects Nineveh to be destroyed, and for whatever reason, he doesn't think they're worthy. How hypocritical. After all Jonah just saved, or, or, or all Jonah just got saved from, I mean, here he was running from God, really suicidal, just in my life. I don't want to follow you, Lord. In a very precarious situation in the midst of a belly of a fish, and God saves him, and he's glorious saved. Now he's used for ministry, and he's mad. He doesn't want that same mercy extended to the Ninevites for whatever reason. Oh, they're not deserving of this. Friends, none of us are deserving of it. That's why it's mercy. That's why it's grace. Let me just give you a little nugget this morning. Christians, we must remember where we've come from because it is so easy to get a little spiritual and look at those people groups or just people in general who may seem further from God and kind of turn our noses up at them and walk around like we're something forgetting where we came from. But if it were not for the grace of God, you or I could not, we would not be where we're at today. You've got to remember that. Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Amen. And so I just believe the church ought to reflect the diversity of heaven. If you have an issue with, and, and I don't believe there's a person in here that does, but if you have an issue, if you're listening online, and you have an issue with a certain race or nationality, whatever it might be, worshiping with you, you're going to have a big issue with heaven. Because heaven is going to be a diverse place. Can I get an Amen. So Jonah, for whatever reason, may have a little bit of this prejudice, this racism in his heart. But there's another heart issue here, and it's reputation. Reputation. Jonah's a prophet. And how is a prophet judged? By prophecies that they say coming to pass, right? If it doesn't come to pass, you are considered what? 
a false prophet, not a good thing. So let's go back to chapter 3 real quickly. Chapter 3, verse 4. And here's what Jonah tells the people. It says, he calls out to them, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message to the Ninevites. 40 days and God's judgment's coming upon you. You are done as a city. You're going to be overthrown. You're going to perish. It's done. And if this doesn't happen, Noah's, or excuse me, Jonah's reputation is on the line. And so here's what I believe. I believe in, in this moment, perhaps Jonah cares more about his reputation than the 120,000 people who will perish. That is selfishness. Now listen to me. I, I believe in reputation. I want to have a good name. But not at the expense of obeying God. And there are just sharing the gospel, you understand, in this day and age may cost you your reputation. Oh, you're one of them. You may be considered an elitist or a bigot or a hater, whatever it might be. Just preaching the gospel might cost you your reputation. I was thinking this morning about Jesus when he was called a, a, a wine-bibber and a glutton. He was more concerned about reaching those people who the Pharisees wanted to stay far away from. He was willing to lay down his reputation. Let them say what they will. I'm going after the people that nobody else wants to go after. That's the heartbeat of this church, by the way. Lord, give us the people that, that nobody else is running after. We want everyone to know they're welcome in this place because we believe Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. So he cares more about reputation. If you, if you care about your reputation more than anything, you know what you'll do? You will lie, you will cheat, you will do whatever you can to make yourself look like a, a certain way or have it to, to portray a certain image. Friends, I believe in reputation. I don't believe we should blatantly do crazy things to get a bad name for us. That's not the point, all right? But there are things more important than reputation. And when you are following Christ in a world that rejects him, you're going to get a bad name sometimes. All right? So wholeheartedly follow Christ. Don't worry about reputation there. Heart issue number three is resistance. Resistance. Mainly uh, resistance to God's plan. Look at verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. Merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Which begs the question, what happened in Jonah's home country? If you go to the book of 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27... It tells us that Jonah is a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And during his reign, God shows compassion on Israel, on the king, and they really prosper. But I want you to look how the king responds. This is 2 Kings 14.24. The Bible says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Don't miss this. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So here's what happens. Jonah goes to the king under the unction of the Lord as a prophet 
of God. And he says to the king, listen, God is going to bless you. And he is going to bless Israel. He is going to, again, expand the boundaries. And this indeed happens. But you know how the king responds? Is it with gratitude? No. This wicked king actually gets worse. And he leads the people of Israel into sin. And because of this, theologian David Pawson says that he is now, Jonah is now saying in his heart, it will never work, Lord. If you bless bad people, they will just get worse. You offer compassion to Nineveh, they'll eventually get worse. They may turn on us again. Now, let me ask you this. How many have ever tried to tell God how to do his job? Come on. Jonah is resisting the plan of God because he thinks he knows better than God. I remember one time uh, specifically where when I was a youth pastor, and, and I've probably told you about the young girl who had a brain tumor in, in my youth group. And, I mean, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we stood in faith. And, 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 and folks, she, she, she passed away. But I remember in the last moments of her life, I was telling God how much glory he would receive, how wonderful it would be if she would just be healed, and how many people would, would turn to, to him. And then I remember just thinking, you know what? God knows what he's doing. And his ways, though I may not understand them, I still don't understand why she didn't receive healing on this earth. But I know she's healed now. Amen? Here's what I know. God's ways are higher than our ways. He knows things I do not know. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Jonah thinks he knows more than the Lord. So perhaps there's a bit of racism that causes Jonah's ill attitude, maybe concern for reputation, and likely he just thinks he knows better than the Lord. Here's what we know for certain. Jonah did the right thing. For the wrong reasons. Don't miss this. Jonah did the right things for the wrong reasons. And you know what chapter 4 shows me? That God doesn't just want your mouth and your hands and your feet just doing work for him, aimlessly for him. Friends, he wants your heart. He wants my heart. That's why Jesus was not impressed with the Pharisees' rigorous prayer life and their rigorous fasting life. Because he said, oh, they're praying, but they're praying to be seen. It's for the wrong. They're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Their giving was for their own benefit. And, oh, we can do the right things and look good to everybody around us, but we can do it with the wrong, for the wrong reasons. And sometimes, here's what I believe, we don't even realize what's in our heart, that we're doing things for the wrong reason. You know, we can, we can come to church. We can sing, we can give, we can pray, we can read our Bible, and yet do it all with a heart that's not pleasing to the Lord. And so here's what I would just challenge you with today. Seek the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the motives for why you're doing what you're doing. You know, you think of giving. We're told in the spirit in which we're to give. We're not just to write a check begrudgingly and, ah, oh, you know, that's all the church cares about is money. No, it's a joy and a privilege to give unto the Lord. And we ought to do it, the Bible says, cheerfully. Cheerfully. 
I keep having people, I just had somebody a couple weeks ago uh, on, on Facebook, a nice guy just says randomly, hey, do you believe we still have to tithe? And I said, why do you ask? Why do you ask? Why would you not want to? I said, actually, no, I don't. I think we should give more because I think grace is worth a lot more than the law. I think tithing is the training wheels of giving. And I'm not bragging on myself. I just know what Christ has done for me. And I love to give. I can't give enough. And I know so many of you in this church are like that. Can I get a witness? It feels great. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a joy. So we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And that's certainly what's going on with Jonah. Secondly, we've looked at Jonah's perspective. I want to look at God's patience. God's patience. i move quickly through here. How does God, after all of this, respond to Jonah? Remember, Jonah is a book mainly about God, not about a prophet, not about a city. It's about God. The Bible, by the way, is about God. How, do you, how does God respond to Jonah? You would think that God would be at the end of his rope, but God is a loving, compassionate, patient father, and when sin abounds, we find it here, grace, all the more. Here's what God does. Number one, amazingly, God listens. How many would have tuned Jonah out by now? God listens. Verse 2 tells us that Jonah prays, and essentially, he asks the Lord to take his life. You know what he's doing here, friends? He is having a pity party. All right? He's having a pity party, and this is something I do not have tolerance for. Vain, glorious people have pity parties. I don't have patience for it. Everything becomes about that person. A pity party. It's all about me. Woe is me. Everybody's against me. Wah, 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 wah. Grow up, right? That's what I would have said to Jonah. That's what I've said to Jonah, but thank the Lord he's more patient than I am. God hears this angry, self-centered, woe-is-me prayer. Everybody's against me, and yet out of great mercy, he listens to Jonah's prayer. Isn't it great to know that even when we've messed up, even when our prayer's a little bit off from where it should be, that he hears the prayers of his children? And not only does he listen, but the second thing he does is he speaks. Verse 4 starts with this, And the Lord said, And the Lord said, I mean, talking to Jonah is like talking to a brick wall. It'd be understandable for God not to speak back, but he speaks. And he asks, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you have a right to be angry? And the Lord continues this conversation with him through the rest of the chapter. You know, often when someone is mad at you, if you're married, you probably know this all too well, that they will give you what's called the silent treatment, Right? I see a lot of spouses looking at each other in this place. Whether it's for an hour or for a day or for a week. You know she's mad. (laughs) Or he, to be fair. I don't want any ladies mad at me. Listen, don't give me the silent treatment, all right, ladies? That's what people do often when they get upset. I'm not speaking to you. Go away. I don't even want to talk to you. Listen, God has every right to give Jonah the silent treatment. God does not owe us, nor does he owe Jonah an explanation. You understand that? He is God. Who are we to question God? But isn't he a gracious God? He answers 
Jonah, it's amazing. He could have written him off, but he speaks to him. And you know what? This book right here, you know what it is? It's full of God speaking words of God speaking to us, that he has spoken to us. It's amazing. God speaks to us. Yes, he can speak to our hearts, but the, the normal way that God speaks to the Christian is through this book right here. If you're not in it, you're missing out. Okay, you're missing out. God speaks to us. And what a gracious God to give us his written word. What an awesome God so that we can know him and worship him and know what pleases him. He, he, he's the one who created us, and he's given us a guide for our lives. And such a pleasure it is to be in this book. So God listens. God speaks. And number three, he doesn't stop there. He provides. Are you thankful the Lord provides? Jonah, verse 5, went out of the city. He went out of the city. Where was Jonah supposed to be? In the city, in Nineveh. He's out of the city. He makes a booth for himself there. He's outside of the will of God, looking in, watching. Friends, that is a miserable place to be, by the way. You know what God's called you to do? You're sitting on the outside of God's will, looking in. I know I'm supposed to give this up. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to go here. I know I'm supposed to share Christ with this person. But you're sitting on the outside, looking in, just seeing what happens. A miserable place to be. I don't recommend it. He sits at under this in the shade till he should see what becomes of the city and it's here that you'll see the lord provides all right uh, one of the names of god is jehovah jireh which means the lord provides are you grateful he is jehovah jireh amen every good and perfect gift comes from the lord here's what he does there's a word in that's used four times in the book of jonah at least it's the word appointed it's used first when, when talking about the fish in chapter 1. And it said God appointed this great fish. And God provided that fish in order to spare Jonah's life. And now in verse 6, we have it again. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. So God provides a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad, exceedingly glad because of the plant. God gives Jonah relief in the midst of his pity party. How, much, how, how compassionate is that? He's a God of comfort. And even when we don't deserve it, God at times just blesses us. The Bible says he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And Dina, if you would come. There's a third thing that God provides. It's, it's the worm. This is interesting. God's giving him a plant. Now watch what happens. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, right? And then God makes it worse he, on, on him. He, he provides an east wind. Verse 8, when the sun arose, God appointed, here it is again, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. What's God doing here? He's taking away Jonah's comfort. He's disciplining Jonah. And in doing so, he's lovingly revealing Jonah's selfish heart. This is grace. This is not mean. This is not evil. He's not just messing with Jonah. I would do that. 
But God is kind and compassionate, and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And how often are we, uh, we're often led to repentance by what? By storms in our lives that God has allowed. God appointed the worm to destroy Jonah's comfort. Isn't that interesting? How's that sit with your theology? God appointed the scorching east wind. It's like being in Chicago, right? So Jonah's miserable. He's out there. It's like sitting on the outskirts of Louisville, all right? All right. You you didn't get it. Not enough UK fans in here, I guess. So he's looking in at Nineveh. He's looking in at Nineveh. Outside of the will of God. Looking in at Nineveh. Outside of the will of God. Burning up. I I picture him as being bald because you can just feel that, you know, sun scorching down on his head. He's miserable. And now the Lord begins to teach. God's patient. He just teaches him. Watch this, verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God's showing patience with Jonah here. He's teaching him a valuable lesson. Jonah is looking in his heart and is realizing he cares more about a stinking plant than he does about 120,000 people perishing. He cares more about his own comfort, his own name, his own reputation than 120,000 people who are ready to perish, people who don't even know their right hand from their left, they're just immoral people, don't know any better. Now, does this sound familiar to you at all? This is a side note, but we have multitudes of people in our world today, I couldn't help think of this, who cry and go to extreme lengths to protect a tree or a certain animal, but don't give a rip about the estimated 125,000 babies a day that are aborted. That's messed up right there. I don't care who you are. That is messed up. And here's a man of God, a prophet of God, who has almost that same type of heart. God has just great patience with him. He's teaching him. And God, through loving discipline, is giving a chance for Jonah to see his own heart and to turn to him. And I'd like to think Jonah lived long enough to tell the story that Jonah did, in fact, turn to him. Here's what I know. God is also a provider for us. He has provided for us. Amen? Because here's the the story. We're like Jonah in the sense that apart from Jesus, we're wicked to the core. Even our good deeds are wrought with bad intentions. If we could see the depths of our heart. Apart from Christ, we're bound by wrong motives, desires, actions, bound by sin. But the apex of God's provision came when he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into a lost and dying world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, we have opportunity now by faith to be reconciled to God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not repented of your sin and turned to God, listen, you are under God's wrath today. You are alienated from God. You are bound by sin. But if you will turn to him, 
If you will turn to him today in faith. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we want to help you do that. You can be saved today. Know what it's like to walk in peace with God. To know what it's like to have eternal life waiting for you. If you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior, why not today? And I just want to close with this final story. Last week, I, uh, on the last day of my staycation, I, uh, I, I went to Lexington for the first time, biked um, the Legacy Trail. Never done it before. And I looked just online, looked beautiful, and I was so excited. And so it starts from the North uh, YMCA on Loudoun, and it goes all the way to the Kentucky Horse Park. That's a long ride, all right, on a bicycle. And so I get on my bike, and I'm, you know, if you know me, I do everything to the extreme. So I can't just go partway and turn around. I keep going and going and going. And about 13 miles in, I, uh, I text my uncle who's ridden this trail before. I said, hey, Perry, I said, uh, does this loop back to where I started? He says, no, you're two miles from the end, and you'll turn around and go back. Seriously. Like, I knew the answer in my heart. Like, there's no way logistically that could loop, but that's not the answer. I wanted, like, a miracle of the Lord right there, a path, a way where there seems to be no way, right? So I, I, drive, I ride all the way to the horse park, and the road literally just comes to a dead end turn around. I check my little saddlebag and realize I'm out of bananas and fuel and uh, I don't have enough food to even sustain me. So I'm a little bit delirious. The sun's out by now, like heavy. It's it's very, very hot. I'm pouring. I mean, I'm drenched in sweat. There's no, what do you do? In the middle of this, or at the end of this trail, I gotta go back. So so I pedal and pedal and pedal and man, I'm just dying. I, I just feel a little bit delirious now. You know how you just if you're that hot and just tired and frustrated, you just kind of lose your senses and so um, I make a wrong turn it's about five miles going back I make a wrong turn and this turn is still the trail but it's adding an extra two to three miles for those who are really courageous right or really aggressive and want to just get that extra workout I was not in the mood to get the extra workout I'm just saying and I'm thinking man I don't remember this I don't, I'm, I'm a mile and a half in and I realize I have gone the wrong way so I keep pedaling, and I see something that looks familiar, and it's the building where my wife works. And I'm at a crossroads. I want to be my wife's hero, and I want her to think I'm strong and mighty. I do not want to call her and say, I can't pedal my bike the rest of the way. And so I sit literally in front of her building, and I just contemplate, like, am I going to call her? Am I not going to call her? I called her. I wanted relief. Honey, what are you doing? <laughs> Honey, what are you doing? That's what it sounded like, actually. I think she thought I was dying or something. She says, uh, just working what you're doing. I said, I'm actually out in front of your work. You are? Yeah, I need you to drive up to the top here and load my bike in your car because I can't ride another five, six miles. I just can't do it. So my wife, being the gracious wife, she, she didn't even give me a hard time, except my shirt was soaked. I get up from her car after she drops me off, and the back and the bottom of her seat is like, like you could swim in it, you know, like it's just drenched, right? And her car smells so bad, my poor bride. And so she says, you know you're cleaning this up, right? I said, yeah, I'll clean your car for you. And, uh, but here, here's what I was thinking about. You know what? I could have made it back to my car had I not made that wrong turn. I made it a lot more difficult 
on myself by going the wrong direction. And I think back to my Christian life. I've been saved since I was seven years old. I'm 40 years old now. I've made some wrong turns. I've run from the Lord many times. And friends, I've made it so difficult on myself. I'm right now, I believe, where the Lord wants me to be, but I took the long way around. I've gone an extra few miles. That's what Jonah did. Jonah went the long way around, and we're given that story, I believe, to show the damage that does to our lives. If you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, one day I'm going to get right with the Lord. One day I'm going to put this drug down. One day I'm going to put this bottle down. One day I'm going to serve God. One day I'm going to get involved in ministry and do what he's asked me to do. Can I just ask you a question? Why wait? Because he's pursuing you, and and he is sovereign, and and he, he knows how to get our attention, and he will outweigh you. And I'm telling you, you'll make it a lot easier on yourself. If you'll just say yes to the will of God in your life. If you'll run to him, run with him. Don't wait. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? I asked so many Christians, what regret do you have about your Christian life? What, 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 do you have any regrets about coming to Jesus? And you know what the really consistent answer I get? The only regret I have is that I didn't run to him sooner. For those in ministry that I didn't accept this call sooner. Don't take the long, long way around. It's exhausting. Amen. Stand with me, please. Father, I'm so grateful that the book of Jonah is in the Bible because it gives me such incredible hope. Because I've taken the long way around many times in my life. I've messed up. I've made really bad decisions. And Lord, I just so long to just walk with you. Your your will, it's not always my preference, the things you ask me to do. But Father, I found it's always the best way. It's always what's best for me. And I just want to, I want to be a faithful servant. I don't want to be a Jonah who's always fighting against your will. I just want to be where you want me to be. So God, We want that as a church. We want to be as a church, as a whole, and as individuals. We want to be where you want us to be. I just pray, Lord, for the one that's running from you today, that they would come to this altar, that they would run to this altar today and get their life right with you. I pray for the one that may be tragically running against you, even refusing to do what you want them to do. I pray, oh, Lord, I pray, oh, Lord, that they would align with your purposes. And I celebrate those who are running with you and those who are running to you. We celebrate those people today as well. And may those who are running to you and with you, may they be an encouragement to those who aren't to get their lives right. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.